As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Excited to be back with everybody. It's a Wednesday evening. Um, we have got a fun podcast uh, for you here. By the way, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting week, right? It was going from this team was, you know, in the doldrums, uh, four-game losing streak, two-and-six record, things are going nowhere it's kind of the same storyline week after week after week and then they beat tampa bay a game that i certainly didn't think they would win i don't think almost anybody else thought they would win i think there were people over in that building who didn't think they would win they did and now this week we have another fun we have a really fun storyline because it's not only ron rivera returning to carolina i don't know if you heard about that cam newton's now quarterback for the panthers not sure who heard about that that either (laughs) And now that's a big deal as well, that these two guys who were going to be linked together forever in history because of their nine seasons together and going to a Super Bowl and all that are going to go head to head. And that's fun. And then both of these teams came off pretty big wins. Carolina had their own upset win. It was on the road at Arizona, a little bit depleted Cardinals team, but nonetheless, they did win. And both of these teams have, you know, some momentum coming in. I think it makes for a pretty hard game and a handicap so it's a really interesting game one i talked about uh with my colleague from the athletic joe person uh joe and i got into kind of a lot of a lot about this game the the whole uh conversation with rivera and newton and a bunch more so um that's about it's about a 20 minute conversation there after that i got another one for you this one's gonna go a bit longer uh for those of you who are into the wizards this is what you've been waiting for the reunion, myself and my colleague, Fred Katz, who w- was the Wizards beat writer for, I think, three seasons, who's now covering the Knicks for us. And he had a very popular podcast, Wizards After Dark, that I was on pretty much every week. Fred is now, Fred came, he, he asked me to come on his pod, come on this podcast because we had Wizards thoughts. And we went long and talked a lot about that team, um, everything that's going on, the positive momentum, whether we think it's sustainable or not, and uh, a whole bunch more. So, it is a really fun podcast. Hopefully you can tell I'm excited to get this to you guys. And I'll share some other uh, updates here on what's going on with the Washington football team 
um, in just a second. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. You know the deal. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen to it on the Athletic app or anywhere else you do your podcasting. Of course, also make sure you subscribe to the Athletic. Um, I had a couple of stories off the Tampa Bay game, including some uh, takeaways, um, a, lot, a lot on Taylor Heineke um, and some other things as well. And we'll have, have more coming up this week, of course, heading into the Panthers uh, game. Um, obviously, beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And if, you know, as always, if you want to email me, you got some deeper thoughts you want to share, hit me up at, uh, uh, sorry, hit me up, bstandig at theathletic.com. So just to get into a couple quick things about Washington. So I'm, as I said, I'm talking to you on Wednesday night. Uh, we still have Thursday and Friday practices to go, but here's kind of how things look like they're shaping out this week on the injury front no curtis samuel i don't think you're going to be surprised about that logan thomas you might be disappointed about that now logan thomas um was not he's still on ir and they have not yet started the 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 21 day clock where he can practice and then have to make a decision um to to bring him onto the roster they did that today with daryl roberts who has been out for a, a, a little bit of time now the cornerback and maybe we'll see if he's available, but they didn't simultaneously do that with Logan Thomas. Now I asked Ron Rivera today about that. He said, cause, cause just last week we thought there was a chance this could happen then, but that hamstring felt a little bit sore after some doing some work earlier in the week. And then obviously they decided not to do anything. And I asked Ron Rivera, are we still optimistic about Logan Thomas possibly playing this week? He said, yes, but we'll see. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, there beyond that um, Kendall Fuller had as a bit of a knee issue it appears coming out of the game so that's something we're going to have to monitor this week for sure but on the Logan Thomas front no Ricky Seals Jones today as well if neither one of those guys is available that means their tight end group is rookie John Bates rookie Samus Reyes and they added to the practice squad this week to Mark Hemingway who obviously was here last year he would be easily the most experienced player so they're looking at dicey at tight end potentially if, if Thomas and Seals Jones can't go so in any event that's what's going on obviously a lot more to go uh so you can check it out uh, check me out on twitter of course at ben standing and of course follow me on the athletic but anyway here we go let's get into this we'll start off with my conversation with joe person and then we'll get to fred katz here on the standard room only podcast all right as promised joining me here on the podcast he is the longtime uh, go-to voice on all things carolina panthers he's my colleague at the athletic he is joe person and Joe, uh, you know, we already knew this was going to be the Ron Rivera homecoming game, and that would mean whatever it would mean. A week ago, if I said to you, here's what else we have, that Washington would have beaten Tampa Bay to potentially at least keep keep some hope all around in this season, that Carolina, yeah, I know Arizona wasn't full strength, whatever. They went on the road, smushed Arizona, and that it would have happened with the addition of Cam Newton, and it looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback. Can you imagine if I had told you all this like a week ago? They've been like Ben. Seriously, you need to like stop sniffing glue or something. Yeah, yeah it's it's crazy, man. And it's we had this conference call with uh, Ron Rivera this afternoon. We're, we're talking about problems, and um, I asked the first question, and I said, Ron, I said, when you were looking at tape of the Panthers' offense in the last couple of days. And you see Cam Newton behind center for the Carolina Panthers was a deja vu. And he just said, yeah, it was pretty crazy. They're running a lot of the same stuff we used to run, meaning 
him in Charlotte with Mike Shula and Ken Dorsey and that crowd. But uh, it's going to be fun, man. I, I think, and, and that's what Ron said. He said, you know, I think he said, I think it's kind of cool. They've got Cam back. He said it was a bold move. And he said, I think it's going to make for a hell of a game Sunday. And I, I think it's going to be a real fun atmosphere. There hadn't been much of that, man. Like before they got Cam, these home games, Ben, in Charlotte, uh, the Patriots game specifically, and the Eagles. Just like by the end of the game, it was like a New England home game, a Philadelphia home game. But and they'll be they'll be Washington people there Sunday too. I mean, you you know this old way back when this was a, a Washington town, but it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we have the same atmosphere has been going on here. I mean, Washington has had in the last month, Mahomes has been through here and Tom Brady. And despite that, eh, it was, uh, you know, not much going on. Now, obviously, this will be on the road. But if there was the equivalent of a Cam Newton, if that was even an option to come through here, that would be a a game changer. So I'm glad that 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 that, that, we'll, we'll get to experience that together. I'll be down there. For, for for the game and look i mean at this point by the time people hear this they will have you know they, they will have heard things read things seen things or already lived through it the ron rivera cam newton of it all but i, I want to talk a little bit more i guess about the game and we'll see if we get to some of the other things as well but with regards to cam newton it's really exciting he's a huge personality as taylor heineke said this week he basically is like the god of charlotte and i get all that can he actually play quarterback like the New England Patriots, I know they had Mac Jones, but they were like, yeah, we're good. And he's been sitting on the sideline all this time when there's a lot of other teams in this league that need a quarterback, including the one here. But after Ryan Fitzpatrick went out, they didn't they didn't go that route either. And I get that Cam Newton had some fun last week, but it's not the same thing as to say he's actually going to be, forget MVP Cam Newton, even viable starter Cam Newton. What do we, I mean, I know you haven't seen a ton of him, but what do we think? We're going to find out, right? Because you're right. I mean, the last week was fun and it was a great storyline and we all wrote about it but it was eight plays and five of those plays I think were maybe short yardage goal line you know they you know Christian McCaffrey sort of just like handed Cam those two touchdowns on a silver platter by, by going out of bounds at the one yard line so I don't know. Like the the one thing I will say is I heard from some people with the Patriots uh, either cover the team or with the organization that Cam was better this summer than he was last fall. I mean, you know, obviously he wasn't that great because they still went with Mac Jones, but I can't wait to see the arm strength because 2018, 2019, those of us who had covered Cam from the beginning, we saw a big drop-off. I mean, there was a game, you mentioned Heineke. There was a game, I, I one of those years, I guess, I think it was 2018. And I don't know who it was against, but they had to bring Heineke in to throw a Hail Mary pass. I think on two different occasions at like mid-season or late in that year, that was the, the state of Cam Newton's right throwing shoulder that he couldn't get the ball downfield. I don't think he's going to be able to throw it like he used to. I think, I think we all can agree with that, but maybe the Panthers can, you know, win with him in his current form, short intermediate passes, leaning on McCaffrey a lot, 
that sort of thing. Zone read with Cam. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. Panthers were desperate. You know, they already had an ineffective Sam Darnold. Then they got an injured Sam Darnold. They they missed the trade deadline. You know, it was oh, who else was out there? Philip Rivers was retired. Josh McCown was retired. So it, it it's crazy that we're sitting here talking about it, and I uh, can't wait to see it. I, you're right. I think I think. I don't think any of us knows based on what just what we saw last week. Right. And that, that's what's so interesting to me about this. Like here, people have been complaining about the fact that Washington didn't do a better job of getting, a, a, a addressing their quarterback situation. I think those people are largely moronic, to be honest. I mean, they tried to get Matthew Stafford and the Rams just, you know, whatever had a better offer. I think they tried to just, you know, the Ram, that was a unique circumstance. I think arguably the best situation after that if, of the veterans was the guy they got, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, whatever we all think of Fitzmagic and all that. I mean, it's what it was. And then, of course, he gets hurt in the first game. And, um, you know, they obviously could have traded up in the draft. They chose not to. I We'll see what happens with Justin Fields and Mac Jones, but they chose not to. That's, it is what it is. E- you know, either way, a rookie quarterback, it's hard to say that the rookie for anybody. Justin Herbert last year, they had a losing record, right? So it's hard to say that a quarterback's going to – a rookie's going to come in and take you up a notch immediately, right? Um, and Taylor Heineke's been okay. I mean, it, you know, we can knock on him for various things, but he's he's been he's been fine. But on the other hand, when I, I what I kind of say to people when they say, "Well, why didn't weren't they more aggressive?" I say, "Well, okay, here's what they could have done. They could have traded a bunch of picks for Sam Darnold or something like that. Or like last year, the Panthers went for Teddy Bridgewater, and that didn't work out. And neither it doesn't appear Darnold's going to work out either. And now it got to the point where." Uh, we got to do something. Plus Carolina, they did the Stefan Gilmore thing. They've been um, uh, the, the, the Henderson, right. From, uh, from Jacksonville. Like, they've been uh, very, Henderson. right. They've been very aggressive this year, which is, you know, cool. We'll see what happens, but it kind of felt like they've been aggressive enough. They kind of had to do something and Washington hasn't felt need to do that. doesn't mean I'm, I'm not saying Washington is right. I'm just saying it is sort of, this is like, there's so many interesting aspects of this game. And one of them is the team that ultimately, held their chips and didn't go all in versus the team that said, screw it. We're going all in. Oh crap. This isn't working. We got to go get Cam Newton now. Yeah. So we did a press conference last December with their owner, David Tepper, and it was on the occasion of them firing Marty Herney. It's the only time. Another, another aspect of this. Yes. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. But so we're doing this, I guess it must've been a zoom with, with Tepper. And he, in no uncertain terms, just said, and this was while, you know, they still had two games left in the seat. Like Teddy Bridgewater still had games to play for the Panthers. And he, without mentioning Teddy's name, he just said, this is a quarterback driven league. We all know that until or unless we get a franchise quarterback, we're going to keep taking swings. Um, You, you, you're not going to win a Super Bowl with a journeyman quarterback. Uh, and but, but the point being was he laid it out that December afternoon that they were going to keep taking these big swings. And they have. I mean, they were in a, just much like Washington. They were in on Matthew Stafford, lost out. They were in on Deshaun Watson before all the legal stuff popped up. And, you know, and they were in again you know, kind of dipping their toe in back in March or, or not March, excuse me, at the trade deadline in October uh, to, to, to re-engage with Houston. It didn't get very far, uh, but, but 
but you're right. So the, the, the musical chairs were about to stop and they didn't have a quarterback. They just, again, like, like Washington, for whatever reason, they weren't real high on Mac Jones, who they had for a week at the senior bowl. And uh, they were not high on Justin Fields. And so they take Darnold. It was, it's been a complete disaster. They gave up three draft picks. Uh, you know, fortunately, it wasn't the kind of King's ransom like the Deshaun Watson deal was going to be, uh, second, a fourth, and a sixth. But still, uh, you, you're kind of in quarterback purgatory. And, and, and I think they're still in it. I mean, like the Cam Newton story is great. Uh, maybe they'll bring him back next year. I, a lot will be de determined over these last seven games, but um, I don't know. It, you know, I think at some point, if you're the Panthers and Washington, you know, I, th I think you got to, you know, think real hard about drafting quarterback or moving up to draft one. Is that's that's typically where you find your answers in this league. Yeah, no, and, and again, the Panthers had the eighth pick in the draft. And I guess by that point, they already had Darnold, but they knew they had the eighth pick anyway. So it's not, I mean, they didn't have to do that. They could have just sat there. They, you know, they, they chose to not. And what, what the way it played out, the way it played out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, like I said, there's so many variables. We're not, like I said, we're not even going to get into the fact that Marty Herney, uh, you know, the, I don't, the architects, right? But, you know, it's responsible for a lot of the pieces on this roster as is, as is Ron or, or the choices that Carolina made Herney was there last year, as he said, you know, he was, he was the guy making a call, I guess, on Teddy Bridgewater. And um, there's that there's, I believe we counted up. There are currently 32 people here in Washington, including Ron Rivera and, and uh, Taylor Heineke and others that were associated with Carolina, which, which to me makes the, the Cam Newton thing even more interesting because 32 people and the one guy the one guy Ron Rivera didn't want apparently was the the, the one the, the most famous one um of, of the bunch uh like I'm, I'm curious from your perspective the 32 number and it's a lot of the coaching staff and some players and then the front office people if you're gonna do that you would think you, you would be like wow we had such an amazing group this is my dream team. This is, you know, Michael Scott, Pam Beasley, Ryan Howard. This is my, this is my dream team. I don't need anybody else. Carolina had some good stuff, obviously the 15 and one year of the Super Bowl, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was Bill Belichick's Patriots or something. What do you make of the fact having gone, having been through it on that end that Ron Rivera decided I'm going to bring in all these people back here? I think it speaks to his military background and his loyalty. Honestly, and, and, and Ron's not the only guy that does that. I mean, we, we were doing this same kind of count last year with guys who played with, for Matt rule at yeah. Baylor temple. Well, PJ Walker, guys. right? PJ yeah. Walker, Robbie Anderson, Hassan Reddick. I mean, you, you still can go right on down the list. Um, so, so yeah, the familiarity factor is a big one. Uh, nepotism in this league is real, let's be honest. Uh, but, but beyond that, too, I do think the underlying thing where Ron is concerned is his background. Like, he is a loyal dude. Um, I do think it's, it, it, it goes back to his military background. And uh, it, it is fascinating, as you said, like, the one guy you thought he'd go get and at various times needed a quarterback. And he did not go get Cam Newton. Um, so, 
looking forward to this week. Uh, I don't know, man. Trying to think too, like, here's the number I, I counted up last week. 14 guys, only 14, are left on the Panthers roster from 20 months ago who played with Cam Newton in his first tenure. That is how complete and, and distinct the, the Matt Rule roster turnover was. <laughs> and, and then I think, frankly, that's part of the reason they didn't want Cam here uh, originally. Is they, they were starting fresh. He's a huge personality. He was hurt. And, and, but more than anything, Rule wanted some young guys to kind of like, you know, buy in and, you know, buy into the brand, as he calls it. And so all those older guys that Cam knew and played with before, for the most part, are gone, with the exception of like the McCaffreys, the Brian Burns of the world, uh, a couple of us promoting. And the long snapper, Jay yeah. is the longest tenured player currently on this Panthers roster. Didn't you guys drafted the long snapper, the first one, right, this year? So, yeah, they drafted a kid, Fletcher, in the sixth round from Alabama, and he was pretty terrible, and he was going to get cut, and then he got a very uh, ambiguous hip injury, so they put him on IR, uh, to, in my mind, pretty clearly, to stash him for a year and see if he's any bigger and stronger and better next year. Well, well so I brought it up because Washington traded up into the sixth round and then they took the long snapper, but they took the second one because you, you, Carolina took one, which seemed odd because Carolina had the, the guy you're talking about. So, yeah, that's what a, happened to Washington snappers. He, 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 yeah, he's the guy. We, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where we don't talk about him because there hasn't been an issue. We, the kicker had problems, and they've now on their third kicker of this year now to Joey Sly, another one of the Joey former, Sly. another one of the former Carolina guys. But uh, yeah, Cameron Cheeseman, he's been uh, totally fine. Um, so. Okay, so in terms of this game, we get past the Rivera and the Cam Newton and all that. You know, uh, Washington is obviously this will be the first game. No Chase Young. He got hurt last week. He's out for the year. Montez Sweat is still out. Their backup defensive ends are guys who have a combined one career start, of the, you know, two and a half sacks, I think. That, so that's going to be a big mystery uh, on this end. Um, and then there's some other injuries. If, if Logan Thomas, who's still on IR, doesn't come off, and Ricky Seals-Jones, who didn't practice today with a hip injury, if they're not available, their tight ends are John Bates, a rookie, Samus Reyes, who literally didn't even start playing the sport until earlier this year, and his first offensive snaps were last week. And then they just picked up yet another former Panther, Tamara Hemingway, who was here last year, put him on the practice squad. He might be their starter this week because, you know, who the heck knows. Um, Those are the two big questions for me this week just in terms of basic personnel there's always the what is what do you do how do you what how does taylor heineke deal with a really good defense and things like that what what about from the carolina and what's like sort of the big other than cam newton which is not another what else is there of whether it's a positive or a concern that that kind of stands out to you for this week well the thing uh, as you were talking there uh, the, the thing with the defensive ends to me is interesting because they play such a big role in some of those zone read and RPO defending those. And if you've got some inexperienced guys who get a little bit loose on their, you know, on their responsibilities against those zone read 
you know, I had Cam and Christian McCaffrey with that mesh could really eat them up. And uh, I don't think you necessarily have that with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So I think that could really be an advantage for the Panthers, that particular matchup. Um, their offensive line has not been very good. Um, they're on their seventh iteration, uh, seventh different combination up front. Maybe they've sort of hit on something now. I don't know. I, I, I think last week they just were kind of clicking on all cylinders. It was just one of those games. Uh, you know, but, but they did block very well against, uh, against a, a fourth-ranked Cardinals defense. So uh, defensively, you said it. I mean, this team has a good pass rush. Um, I, I'm sure I'm sure Scott Turner is going to be calling plays to get the ball out of Heineke's hands fairly quickly. Um, th- this team is susceptible to a power run game, and you'd know better than I do, but I think Washington has that semblance of sort of wide zone you know, power run game that, that might be Washington's best bet against this defense. This, this defense is real fast. They're real agile and kind of light up front. They, you know, a lot of like stand up edge rushers, but those guys do get kind of caught in the wash sometimes when the team just lines up shoving big guys at them and then kind of cut back blocks, cut back runs. Seen that against uh, Dallas and Minnesota teams really like racked up a lot of rushing yards, controlled the tempo. And I think that would be, you know, I think that'd be, if you can get the lead on the Panthers then you're really like saying, okay, Cam, what do you have, man? Like, not only do you have to win a game, you've got to come back in a game if, if Washington is, is able to establish kind of the tempo and the pace early on. Yeah, most of the year they've been a disaster on the defensively on the first drive of the game. I think in the first uh, seven games, the opposing team scored a touchdown six times. Um, but the last two games, they've been able to get um, – punts uh, you know out of it so so maybe and so that uh, it helps a little bit um before i ask you what you think is going to happen the prediction I, it's a quick taylor heineke thought uh you know again i'm not saying taylor heineke is th- their long-term answer here but he's been a fun ride he outduels Tom brady last week um he, he you know we everybody always gets caught up in new is he the answer but the bottom line is this is a really fun story of a guy that nobody thought would ever even play in the league again, I think himself included. And then he's coming to be, if nothing else, he's proven he can play and he, he can be a high end backup and maybe a guy you can use sort of, sort of the way Ryan Fitzpatrick has kind of emerged over time. Could you have imagined as a guy that covered him a few years ago that, that again, we'd be having this conversation about a guy who, who, you know, uh, it was, it was a, in a Washington post column this week, it was noted that Taylor Heineke is unafraid, which is, we all know that that's his whole shtick. And that Ron Rivera must really like him because he brought him back five different times. What was not said was in order to bring him back five times, you had to get rid of him four times. So clearly it wasn't like there was a lot of buy-in. So do you, can you, from your end, as a guy who saw him in Carolina, can you believe that Taylor Heineke has emerged the way he's emerged? I liked him. I, I didn't necessarily like him as the guy I'd want to build my franchise around, but he had, I mean, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but even back then, like, there was a game again late in that 2018 season where I should go back and look this up, but he got completely just blasted. Uh, second half, I mean, just I mean, you see him, he's not a big guy, and he got annihilated in the pocket. 
And he went into the, uh, I'm sure that they shot him up. I don't think he said that. But he comes back out and, and finishes this game. And then I think the next week, they were like, and, and it might not, I, I think it was his elbow. It was something, it was something upper body, again. <laughs> hadn't, that, hadn't been that long ago, but the Panthers had been through a lot of quarterbacks since then. And the next week, they're like, oh, he's done for the year. And again, it was late in the year. But the point was, it's like, good Lord, that guy finished that game. Like he, I, I like his story. Um, you know, I think he's from Duluth, Georgia. I had some background in Atlanta. It, it, you know, I hadn't covered him. But it, it, it's cool to see. And we had Hassan Reddick at the podium this week. The Panthers are you know, very gifted at rusher. And he just, someone asked him about Heineke, and he sort of like paused. And he said, he said, you know what? He said, that kid is competitive. And he said, I like he said, I like the way he plays. And I think that I think that speaks for a lot of people and probably in both these buildings and around the league. I mean, guys like that, you know, you know, you hear the term grinders and all that, but that is uh, that is the highest compliment seemingly you can you can give somebody in this league. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think there's a lot to say for that. I think that's why Ron has appreciated him being there because I think part of Washington's struggles this year have been sustaining Ron talks a lot about needing more maturity and discipline and needing, you know, kind of steady energy out there. Heineke gives them that all the time, regardless of whatever else happens. He may make a bad throw, some poor decision, whatever, take a sack. He gives them that. And I think Ron appreciates that as much as anything else. Um, all right, pick, let's make some picks. I, I, I would never offer gambling advice on this podcast. Certainly don't take mine. This is a game I would 1 million percent stay away from. The, the, the amount of variables in this game, you have two teams coming off massive wins. Either one of them, if you could tell me, could then take their turn that momentum into more this week. But again, we already talked about the Cam Newton perspective on your end. There's no Chase Young over here. Good luck. I think the spread's like two and a half. We don't have to pick that, although I don't, maybe if you want to, go for it. But I wouldn't even touch that. Even from the game, I don't even know what I would do. But I guess I would just say Carolina's at home. I would lean that way for that reason and probably that reason only other than their defense is really good and Washington we'll see how, how they look uh, uh, you know if they can sustain what they showed last week so what 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 would you, what would your take be uh, on this game a lot of the same things you said the Panthers had this PR guy who's like a stats guy and I think he tweeted this week that something like four out of the last nine Panthers Washington games, the score has been 20 to 17. And so I'm going 20 to 17, very specifically. And I'm going Panthers at home. I'm with you. I mean, all the usual caveats apply. We don't know what we're going to see with Cam Newton. You know, he's going from like basically zero to 60, going from eight plays against Arizona to potentially 60 against Washington. That's a lot. It's a lot, you know, for a 32-year-old, you know, not that he can't handle the workload, but I don't know if his, you know, we'll see if his arm, how it holds up. You know, he threw down, he threw downfield once last week. It was, it wasn't a bad throw. It, it, it was a little underthrown, but it resulted in a, uh, a big uh, PI, uh, pass interference penalty. So I'll go Panthers at home, right in, right in a little cam mojo, 20 to 17. Um, I like it. I like it. Um, 
obviously everybody go uh, if you're not already following joe on twitter go do that because obviously this is the week uh for all his uh all his takes and joe i'm a really bad host oh here it is at joseph person on twitter that's it right appreciate you man well cross promotion buddy oh well i mean you know that's what that's what we're all about here look if you if, if, if this is an all this is a you know what, what's the thing uh t- tide right wait tide raises all boats what's the thing i don't that's know right. a rising tide yeah. lifts Boats. right right so we, we you you people uh support you it, it helps me with the athletic it's all it's all good um i will see you down in charlotte in a few days and uh i have nothing that's gonna happen but i guess we will we will see it unfold together thanks man i appreciate it hey, man thanks for having me on looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As promised, he is back. Um, Before I introduce him, although you already know who it is, I, I, I have to tell you, as a podcast host, it's not always easy getting guests. I mean, at a minimum, you have to ask somebody to come on. That's typically how this works. Nobody actually says, hey, I want to go on your podcast. It's not, a, you know, you have to kind of like ask and maybe even beg, plead, horse trade, whatever it is to get this. It is rare the opposite way, at least of somebody you'd want to have on your podcast. No, no, not this time. In this case, this guest, he's like hitting me up in our internal office Slack thread, hey, can I please come on your podcast to talk about the Wizards? The Wizards to boot, not not just any team, the Wizards. Eventually, I was like, fine, fine. Let me, let me, let me make your, let me make your day. So here he is. He's back. Fred Katz. I mean, you just couldn't stay away. And I understand why, because the Wizards somehow got good after you left. I don't know what the connection is, but that apparently happened. Extraordinary role reversal, by the way, because you realize that for three years I had Wizards After Dark and you would say, hey, you know, I just if if you need a guest, if you can't find a guest, I'm always happy to come on. And then it turned into you just (laughs) me, me legitimately hitting up the people who run podcasts at The Athletic so we can say, hey, is there a way we can get Ben's name on this podcast so he can get actual credit so he's not just working for no reason at all on this thing? So, role reversal. It is. It is. Uh, it's. It's good. It's good to see in a role reversal would be a a nice way to probably talk. Look at the Wizards because instead of being this patsy or uninteresting team or just a team you kind of shrug your shoulders at, like ah, whatever, who knows? They have become one of the darlings of the league this year. Uh, you know, it, I'm watching it here in town, and you know, getting that perspective. So it's hard to almost you know figure out what it, what it be like nationally, but. Uh, yeah, the Wizards. Like, it's one thing. Like, I mean, we've seen them win. I don't know what the best winning streak they had when you were covering the team, but you know, they 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 would win. You know, six of eight. You know, a four game winning streak, whatever it would be. And it always felt like you know, whatever. Somebody got hot for a few days, or there was fluky circumstances. The other team didn't try. No, this one feels incredibly interesting, sustainable. I mean, not necessarily the ten and three pace, but they're actually interesting and good and. Yeah, it is fascinating. So I this is why we want to get you on. You have you have thoughts. You literally were breaking down tape. Um, you, you know, by the way, for those of you who are, who are like, wait, wait, where'd Fred go? 
He's he still covers the NBA, covers the Knicks for the Athletics, so he's still part of the family. Uh, but we just moved him up uh, up on ninety five. But he's keeping tra- he's keeping tabs on the Wizards, and he and he's got some thoughts. So just broadly, I guess, what do you think? I have so many thoughts. So many. I have so many thoughts. I you know I think uh, I don't know if this is a relatable trade or not, but you know when you cover a team on the beat, and you know this. You you become like you're not a fan, but you still become passionate about learning about that team, but in a way that's different than you would as a fan. And you become so passionate about learning about that subject and learning everything you can about that subject. And now, you know, I covered the Wizards when they they weren't always so interesting. I think they were interesting last year. They weren't great last year, but they were interesting. And 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 the best streak they had when I was covering them was that. 17 and six stretch to end last year, but now they're, they're so basketball interesting. You know, I, I so often had to write not about basketball to find interesting things, not always, but I think more than I would now, now I'd just be like, I'd be breaking down all of it. (laughs) Yeah. We'd be diving into the weeds on this. Um, I, I think they're good. I think they're legitimately good. I, I don't, I don't know if they're, I don't, I'm not convinced they're best in the East good, but I think they're legitimately good. Um, you know, I, they're over under coming into this year was like 34. I thought they would be better than that, but I, I did not think that they would be like very solid playoff team and, and solidly in there and good chance to miss the play in tournament. And, and I think that's kind of where they're at right now. And I say miss the play in tournament in a good way not a bottom of, you know, bottom out below it. Right. Uh, you know, be in the top six. And I, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up in the top six. I think that's makes a lot of sense. And I think not everything, but a, a lot of things that they're doing right now seem pretty real and not early season fluky at all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, okay. So to, to, I was just thinking about this to bring it back to the wizards after dark fashion and the way that like I would, uh, approach talking about the seam often was as we as we often discuss was sort of the the incredibly minute points that really are relevant to the grand scheme of the things but these were the things that would bother me in part because these were the things that an organization needs to you know the the, the blocking and tackling that organizations need to do to to build and sustain stuff and the thing about it is with this team I don't really need to talk about that because there is no Justin Robinson or Usef Sanan per se it's all good stuff it, it, it's like we get to eat just off the entrees because all the, because even with dealing with injuries, we knew they would have a lot of depth going into the year. But, you know, what is depth doesn't necessarily mean really players are playing really well and playing good. The, they've got guys, you know, 10, you know, nine guys at a minimum playing pretty well. So so that when they have injuries, um, they they have other guys to, to play. I mean, right now that, you know, they just came back from 19 down. We're talking on Wednesday morning. I don't know when I'll get this podcast up, but we're talking Wednesday morning, uh, 19 down against the, the Pelicans, not the best team in the world, but they play in the NBA. No Bradley Beal, no Uri Hachimura, no Davis Bertans, obviously Thomas Bryant's still out. And yet the Wizards had uh, the goods to come back and and win. And, and it, you know, th- there's, we're not having to discuss, or at least I'm not having to think about why is Ron Baker playing over some, over some first round pick. That's not happening. The, the the things that would drive me crazy aren't happening. Um, and Ben, can you can I just say you you oh have boy. me here laughing? Yeah, because 
I I feel like you just inspired a new slogan for the Pelicans. Oh, I feel like their slogan should be <laughs> not the best team in the world, but still in the NBA. Come oh. see the New Orleans Pelicans, two and thirteen. Not the best team in the world, but still in the NBA. I mean, <laughs> you know, without without Zion, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Brandon Ingram's really good, and you know, God bless uh, Satoransky. Not when Denny Ideas guarding him. Not not when Denny Ideas guard. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to him because unlike when I was come on the Wizards after dark, I actually did some homework here just oh just to prepare goodness. some this some. Is out of my element. Don't, don't go crazy. But here, let me let me let me push this to the extreme, and I want to get your takes. In terms of like, you know, where are the wizards? Here's how I would frame it. Again, don't go crazy with what I'm about to say. We spent the last, I don't even know how many, how many days, hours, minutes discussing what the wizards should do with Bradley Beal. Should they trade Bradley Beal? Should they sign him to a long-term deal? Should they keep him? What, what, What do you do if you do keep all that stuff? The way that it is now, and I'm not even necessarily talking about the 10 and three start, but to a degree, but I'm mostly talking about you look at the overall roster, the, the contracts available, the the, the, the pieces, the, the chemistry, uh, how, how how everything seems to be to be working, the depth, all these things. And I think the conversation is if we had if the choice was essentially either trade Beal, which is I think what a lot of people wanted to do up until relatively recently, or bring Beal an actual help, like something somewhat comparable to him. I think it's that way. Because the Wizards now have so many pieces, and the pieces are tradable, meaning a lot of guys that you can, you know, move, you know, two and three together to acquire somebody. And you know, we don't, we don't. I'm not talking about Ben Simmons for Lord for for, for God's sake, but I mean like some somebody like that, a you know, whatever vet, good, really good player springs free. Maybe it's the next off season, but whatever. That to me is we're headed in that direction. And the fact that I could even say that with a straight face, and I don't think Fred's going to tell me I'm wrong. Again, I'm not saying they will do that. I'm just saying the conversation is going that way as opposed to going the other way says a lot about where where things have turned because that the, the Westbrook trade has been so dramatic in terms of not just roster depth, but also just chemistry, defense, so many things, and then the coaching change, et cetera, that it is heading in that direction, which is stunning from where we were a couple of years ago with how do they, what do they deal with John Wall's contract? Should they trade Beal and things like that? There's one thing I disagree with. Wow. Why right. aren't you saying Simmons? Like why, why, why couldn't they be a Simmons team? I actually think he'd be a great fit if they could put together a package. I wouldn't do it now. I'm not, I'm not saying they should. And, and I get if wizards fans would be pissed by me killing the, the vibes of the, of the, of the, you know, Tommy Shepard, when he took over, said his slogan was going to be we want a team of teams in the front office right yes. that was that was taken after a book when a team of teams this is kind of a team of teams on the floor that they have right now like they played their last two games with four guys out and four important guys i mean they've been missing hachimura and bryant and beal for the last two and bertans they're still going 10 deep i mean i was talking to somebody in the league about them because it's funny whenever i when I talk to people in the league right now, every single person, pretty much without exception, makes the exact same joke, which is that I was holding the Wizards back or some form of it. Sure. Uh, and they just want to talk about the Wizards because they're so interesting. And uh, somebody said something to me, which is, I thought, a great perspective. If NBA teams played uh, like sub, uh, use substitution rotations the same way as NHL teams, 
Right. And you had to play basically your first unit, 16 minutes, your second line, 16 minutes, and your third line, 16 minutes. Uh, then the Wizards would win the title. Because yeah. the Wizards' third line would absolutely destroy everyone else's third line. You'd have like Aaron Holiday, and you know, we were assuming you know everybody's healthy. You'd have Aaron Holiday and you'd have Thomas Bryant and 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 you'd have Bertans or Hachimura or whomever would be there, and uh you would you would just wreck other teams' third lines. Uh so I'm uh I'm not I'm not trying to step on the parade of the Wizards third line. But the thing is, the reality is, is if the Wizards get healthy in the NBA, you don't play your third line. Uh, and there are ways for them to consolidate good offers without really losing depth. And I, I'm not saying they should do it now. They really it, it would be hard to do before December 15th when players are, uh, you know, who they who signed this offseason are not tradable until then. Anyway, December 15th, in some cases, January 15th. But. You know, let's say you get to the trade deadline and the Simmons Philadelphia situation is still where it's at. And it's it's become clearer over time uh, that Philadelphia has lost leverage. They're not going to be able to get back some star for him. I mean, I think the Wizards are capable of putting together a deal similar to kind of what the Hawks can do. A little bit of a different vibe. The Hawks could, Hawks could send some younger players, uh, but it would be a consolidation trade. It would be a, hey, we can give you a bunch of really, really good players, not a star, but a bunch of really, really good players. And and there are a million different configurations that you can come up with uh, in order for that to work. I think Simmons would fit the identity of this team. Hey, they defend. I mean, that's the biggest difference. People are like, what's the biggest difference? I'm like, the biggest difference is they, they defend on a string. Like they help the helper and their positional defending is great. And, you know, they had so many like needless switches which just set up mismatches the last few years and now they they fight through screens and they switch when they're supposed to switch as opposed to switching when it's convenient to switch and like uh you know Gafford is defending the rim at a at a really really good rate when he's out there and Harrell's playing it's certainly not elite defense but the best defense I've ever seen him play and and Beal's playing his best defense in five years uh they're just you know, Denny's taken this ginormous leap, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, I, I, they're, they're actually defending. And I just, I think I'm not saying they should do that. I'm just saying that like, if they're, if they're really good, if they're the caliber of a, even just like a 48 win team and they're looking like where they're pretty confident, they're a 48 win team and it's the winter and they're feeling really good about their chances of bringing back Bradley Beal, like, Go crazy. It's not a short-term move. Dude's got four years left on his contract. Well, the, we're not going to turn this into a referendum on Ben Simmons, but there's a lot going on there in that whole situation with Philly. Also, I want to see Justin Kutcher call Ben Simmons games uh, consistently. Well, okay, now, now, <laughs> now you now you sold me on on the reason for this to occur. I, I apologize for not having thought about that. Yeah, I'm in for the, I'm in for that. Yeah, we're not going to turn this into a Ben Simmons podcast, but there's just so much going on with that. And part of what's interesting right now for the Wizards is chemistry and also a guy like Ben Simmons if you make it to make the deal that we're talking about it is about higher aspirations and you want to know that that guy in the postseason in big games will be there for you and that's for me beyond all everything else that's going on with Ben Simmons is the issue I had this issue going back to when he was at LSU and then early in the league let alone passing up on the layup so that would be my hold up but okay but the larger point is that the Wizards have suddenly gotten interesting enough and like you said they have all these extra pieces I mean Thomas Bryant Davis Bertans, Rudy Hachimura, 
that was like their starting lineup, their starting front court, you know, um, two seasons ago, or whatever. Yeah. And now, and now those are the guys who, even if everybody was healthy, may not even be playing, um, you know, to, to or at least very few minutes, based on what things are happening here now. Um, you, you mentioned the defense. I'm just looking at some of the basic numbers, like defensive rating last year, 20th, 112.3 points per hundred possessions right now, fourth, 102.7. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you know, obviously Wes Unsell Jr. Part of his reputation was, was the defense and clearly, you know, as it stands now, you got to give him a lot of credit for, for what, for what, for what's happening. I, I just think in general though, with the energy on this team, you know, I always say teams take on the personality of the dominant figure in the NBA. That tends to be the player, I would say, often more than the coach. Um, and Bradley Beal has been that guy here for the last couple of years for all the obvious reasons, right? And not knocking it. Bradley Beal was, uh, you know, not so much last year, but the year before when they had some, they weren't great, but I think they were a little bit better than expectations. I think because he plays, I, I get it, defensively he was holding back and, we'll get to that as well but like you know i mean he plays he, he plays hard mo- and the team sort of responded with that he puts in the work on and off the court right now i think they're playing with Montrez harrell's personality that guy is everywhere i, I people i know friends of mine who make fun of me for pulling out old tweets to pat myself on the back saying see i told you well don't get me started if you want to see my Montrez harrell tweets going back to the first time i saw him at a high school uh, all-star game happy to do it have always loved this guy he is killing it. And that was the part for me I was most excited about when they made that trade. And he is, you know, he's obviously not the MVP of the league, but honestly, if the Wizards keep this going, I'd throw him a vote, fifth place vote or whatever. He is absolutely crushing it right now. And I think this across the board, his energy is really, when you talk about what, what is happening here, I, I just think there's so much it, it, it revolves around, around his presence. I mean, he's not alone, of course, it's a lot of guys, but what he's giving them all over the place maybe even in the fashion department, because that's some wild stuff, uh, I think is really uh, a, a huge factor right now. He might be six man of the year. I mean, I I think if the season ended today, I think there's, I think he'd probably, I haven't really run through it. I think he, I guess he'd probably be top two. Tyler Hero is having an unbelievable season as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would throw Mello in that conversation. He gets pulverized. Like he got killed defensively against Chicago the other night. Uh, I don't think, I don't think I'd throw him in there. Uh, Derek Rose is somebody people would throw in there, but I wouldn't throw him in there over over Harold or over Hero. Uh, he's having an incredible year. It, it does seem like a, from afar that that's exactly what's happened. What you just said. I mean, when he comes in the game, they play with a different energy. He's been so good around the hoop. He's been getting to the line a ton, which is an increasingly valuable trait uh with fouls way down around the league this year his his finishing around the rim right now is absurd it, it, it feels like you know he's been binging on these kind of pick and roll finishes and he immediately has good pick and roll chemistry with everybody uh but he's been binging on these pick and roll finishes and it feels like every time he gets to the rim he he ends up putting in a shot and i'm, I'm looking at it right now do you know he's shooting at the rim this year well, the only stat I pulled up was that he is eighth in true shooting percentage at 71.8, but I don't know what he's shooting at the rim. Right, which is, I, I believe he's at a career-high true shooting. I just uh, wanted to get that stat in just to prove I did look something up, but go ahead. Ben, I can't believe people talk about what's the biggest change with the Wizards that Ben <laughs> Standing is prepping for his job. <laughs> yeah, what a world. Who would have thought? Uh, 
Montrezl is shooting 84% at the rim right now. I guess that's good. 84%. It's a pretty high percentage shot. There, I mean, that that's, I mean, for context, like no one that I'm, I'm sure that leads the league. No one shoots 84% at the rim, especially if, if someone is going to shoot that high at the rim, it's often somebody who boosts their stats by just being a guy who gets out in transition a lot, you know, they, and a lot of them are just wide open layups on the break dunks on the break. And most of the vast majority of Harold's shots. And you know, if you watch him play, you know, this they're all at pick and rolls. They're they're on dump offs. They're on putbacks. I mean, that's how he's getting it. He's just been so good around the rim and a better than ever. Uh, you know, he's won a six man of the year. He's finished second. I, I think he's having the best year of his career right now with the way that he's playing, especially with the way that he's playing defensively. He's, he's had some nice moments and, plays really hard on that end and and he they haven't really exploited him and that's a Wes Unseld thing I shouldn't say that is a Wes Unseld thing but that's a trait that Nuggets players had for years right it was like it was it was hard for opposing teams when Wes Unseld was running the Nuggets defense it was hard for opposing teams to exploit you know perceived mismatches uh, they just they never really quite figured out how to do it because of the way that Denver used their defensive personnel. I think you're seeing a lot of those traits with the Wizards, and there is a very obvious common denominator. The guy running the Denver defense is now running the Wizards defense, and I think we can say that probably has a lot to do with it because we're, we're seeing that um, in a lot of different cases, right? I mean, I think everybody's defense looks better than I expected. Dinwiddie's has been really good using his size. I think Beal has been feistier defending than he's been in five years. Uh, there's no question that Harold looks a million times better than he did with the Lakers when everything was just uncomfortable. Uh, you know, Gafford's fouling is down. And, and, and fouling around the rim isn't really down. So I don't think it's just because of the new rules. Like Gafford's foul rate is is down. It's still high, but it's down. Uh, and And opponents are shooting like 48% on dunks and layups that he can test at the rim, which is an excellent number for him. One of the best rim protection numbers in the league for him. Uh, you know, Denny is, Denny has just been so good, so much more disciplined defensively. I mean, the leap that he's made, I think is, is extremely interesting. And I, I know there are people that are really excited about him now. Um, just, you know, just, to, just to, to look up Denny, I was just, I was just looking through like NBA.com's like this, advanced stats just to look through some things and i was looking at i i, I did a filter of like players were played at least you know averaging 15 or more minutes that that was it i i know that denny's played a lot better but two but two stats i was like what the you gotta be kidding me here he is in defensive rating individual players he is fifth in the nba at 93.6 net rating overall he is 10th at 15.4 now obviously he, some of that you know it's some of that is always circumstantial the wizards have been um you know he's not necessarily the the straw stirring the drink collectively but the fact that he would go from a guy who last year look as a rookie you know as a rookie coming from another country no no summer league essentially no preseason no time to practice all the complications of last season of course he was going to have some struggles and then also 
on the other side of the ball, as we discussed at the time, you know, when you have Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, two incredibly ball dominant players, a guy like Denny, who offensively, you know, is, is a guy who's a good passer, a thinker, you want the ball in his hands to a degree. And, and it's not even so much that he has to make all the plays. It's just, I think his basketball brain is wired to, uh, to, to, to have those options. And then when you take that away, I think it probably messes with everything else. And then he gets hurt. You put all that side, he's going to be better to be this much better is off the charts crazy. And you mentioned the Brandon Ingram thing the other day, you know, he did a really good job against uh, the Pelicans, you know, best player, um, you know, without, at least without Zion um, on the court and his, he's, he's been remarkable. And like, it's not like Denny is now the second best player on the wizards or something. He's, he's good. He's in the rotation. He's in the mix. They have a bunch of other guys who are doing well. And that's the thing. It's like, they have just so many pieces right now, but yeah, Denny has his rise. I, I'm so pleased to see it. Uh, of the three rookies, I mean, Kispert's just figuring it out. Um, he was the one I'd be like, okay, I really want to see where this goes. And so far, it's been so fun uh, to watch. So I think a lot of people, there's been so much made about how the new foul rules affect like James Harden and Trey Young and how free throws are down. And, and it's been so covered from the offensive perspective. I feel like people have, I feel like there hasn't been as much made about the other side of the ball where, okay, if James Harden isn't getting the calls that he wants, Trey Young isn't getting the calls that he wants, then on, let's look at the other side of it. Let's say what defenders have disproportionately improved because of the way that they're calling fouls in the perimeter now. Uh, I think Denny is somebody who has disproportionately benefited from the new foul rules uh, in, in a way that, that, few other defenders have, uh, you know, he was, he was a big over fouler as a rookie. And that's something that's pretty common for a rookie, but it's not just that he fouled a lot. It's that a lot of the, the bad fouls that he would have are the exact types of fouls that they're not trying to call anymore. It was like, he'd have a handout and somebody would, you know, James Harden lift the ball right into him and his fingertip would, would hit the shooter's wrist and it would be two shots. And you'd be like, oh, that's just an undisciplined bad foul. Uh, he moved his feet well last year. I mean, I think I'm sure I said on the podcast numerous times that I, you could see the defensive potential. He moved his feet well, but he'd get a little overpowered sometimes, which is like he's a rookie. That's to be expected. And, and his hands were just not as disciplined. There have been moments you know, you mentioned I was watching film. I watched like 30 minutes of, of Denny defensive film in order to prep for this. I watched so much Denny synergy film in order to prep for this. And like, you know, I'm watching a play in the Memphis game. They were up 20 at the time or so. And, and he's guarding Kyle Anderson and, and Kyle Anderson takes him to the hole and he kind of has both. And Kyle Anderson is very sly and, and just really smart just a ridiculously smart and clever player. Everything he does, all of his success is based on his cleverness. Right. And uh, Kyle Anderson kind of takes him into the mid range and, and, and ends up putting like a, a little eight footer up and Denny stuck with him the whole time. And it was really good defense, but he kind of had his hand on his hip. And all I was thinking was, you know, last year, Kyle Anderson is, is getting low and then he's lifting a shot, right. A shot right into, into Denny's hands. And now he can't do that because they're not going to call it. So all these tendencies are kind of helping him. That being said, I think he's much better also. And he still has a kind of high foul rate. 
uh, because he's guarding the Giannis's and the Brandon Ingram's of the world. So it makes sense. Uh, but he's gotten much better at defending with his hands out or his hands high as opposed to his hands forward. I think that's made a big difference. He's clearly stronger. Like, you know, in that fourth quarter of the Milwaukee game, he's guarding Giannis and Giannis is bumping him and he is doing a good job holding his ground and not falling on his ass and uh, holding strong. And, uh, you know, I think, I think his, his feet are not sound like Rex Ryan, but I think his feet are great. Like he, he is, he is. I gotta put. I gotta put a. I gotta put a, a an adult rating on this podcast now. Okay, go ahead. He's uh, he's he's just mo- and and he. This is what he showed last year, which is why I thought he had good defensive potential. Like his his feet are are his lateral quickness is is pretty great. Uh, one thing that I noticed about him as a rookie was that, you know, when I watched him last year, was his, his feet almost never crossed when he was guarding somebody one-on-one, he almost never actually put one foot over the other. It was almost always a shuffle. And I was like, that's a good defensive habit for a rookie. Like that's, that's pretty good that he's coming in like that. Um, And, you know, I, 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 you know, I, you know, you read everything about how much film he's watching and it's just, it's just showing he's, I, I think he's, probably going to continue to improve there and be an extremely good perimeter defender. I, I think that's, that's probably the most likely scenario now. Yeah. And I would just say last year for me at a very basic level, regardless of what he was going through, he played with confidence and, and, you know, uh, not to make the, you know, the, the overseas player comparison with Jan Vesely, but the, it, one of the immediate things back then was Jan Vesely clearly lacked confidence. And that was part of his journey um, boy, it's already been 10 years since John Vesely entered the league. But um, that was like one of the things was like, oh, boy, I don't know. And you could see that obviously with things like his free throw shooting percentage, this kid didn't have it. And it, I mean, this kid had confidence. So it just became a matter of experience. And like you said, there was a lot going on last year, as we all know. And, and it was it seemed natural that a, that a rookie coming in under those circumstances, just a human being having to make the life adjustments that he made would have some struggles. But we're seeing a much better version um, of him. Um, I've got some other stats, but you know, you're the one breaking down tape and you're the one who really wanted to come on. Is there any other thing? I mean, there's obviously tons of things to get into, but what else for you, uh, you know, had, had you uh, up at nights, you know, you know, hoping, wishing that you had a podcast to come talk, talk about. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Here's what we got. Here's what we got. Uh, I'm not all the way in on their defense. When I say not all the way in, I don't think they're like the 20th best defense again, but I'm not all the way in on them being top five because they're allowing 29% three-point shooting, and that's going to change. They're giving up the fewest wide-open threes in the NBA, according to Second Spectrum, which is they're giving up like 11 a game, which is the fewest in the league. So that that is a very good sign, but they're still allowing 29% three-point shooting in that. That just doesn't continue over the long haul. Like when the Celtics start 0 for 20 against you from three, then uh, (laughs) that's going to throw some stuff off like that. That's more on the Celtics than it is on your defense when a team is 0 for 20 from three. Uh, And so, so I think, I think there will probably be some correction there and I don't think they'll actually be fourth or fifth in defense, but, but I think they'll be good. I, I want to know your take. What, I mean, we talked about the depth. What does happen when Thomas Bryant and Rui come back and Bertans? Like what, what happens there? I mean, 
one of the things that I wondered going into the year was, okay, like Gafford is the starter. You know, he's the guy who the organization wanted to commit to most. And then they obviously made that extremely apparent by signing him to the three-year extension. You know, he's the most defensive minded guy. Gafford will start and Harrell will get the backup minutes at the beginning of the year. And then Harrell and Bryant, while they have differences, they're they're kind of similar types of players in that they're offensive slanted uh, centers. So I think ideally because they're offensive slanted are like really, really, really good centers coming off the bench. Uh, and then Harrell came out and didn't change the type of player that he was, but certainly played like the best version of the type of player that he is. I mean, he's been spectacular for them. And Brian hasn't come back, but he'll be back, you know, December, whenever it ends up being. And I'm just, I kind of assumed that Harold comes back. Bryant comes back. I kind of assumed that Bryant before anybody stepped on a court, that Bryant would be the guy who got more minutes. He's, he's a little younger. He's got history with the organization. He also shoots threes. And I thought that was a big difference maker for them because they're not really a three-point shooting team. And I thought Bryant, as much as a big could help them, I thought a three-point shooter could help them too. And, and, and he could be out there on the perimeter and, and, you know, he has great chemistry with Beal. And I just, I thought that would be something that would work in a backup center role. And now it's like, how in the world are you going to take one second of playing time away from Montrez Harrell? Also, how in the world are you going to take playing time away from Gafford? I, I just wonder but it also feels so weird for Thomas Bryant just come back and just never play. I mean, I, I just, I have no idea what the answer is going to be like, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, if you think it'll be, you know, that would be kind of weird for that to happen. I would say get ready for weird. I, I mean, I don't think Thomas Bryant's playing at all. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, um, I did la- last night I did uh, um, co-hosted a radio show on uh, the night show on one Oh six, seven, the fan with our, our pal uh, Britt Giroli and I'm going through this conversation about the, the 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 Wizards' minutes and depth, and she's you know cognizant of the, what the Wizards are doing, but not looking at it the way you and I are. And she just basically made the point, and it was of course you would have liked this because she basically told me to stop overthinking. Um, but she she was like, "Look, we know what's gonna happen, right? Injuries will happen. So, you know, something will occur that will allow other people to get in the lineup." But that aside, I don't think Thomas Bryant's playing a lick. I think the, because like you said, how are you taking, I mean, the only reason you would think would be if the Gafford Harold thing, like they're just lacking, uh, they're not getting enough offense out of those, out of the five spots, enough shooting perhaps, and the team, the other teams are starting to play them in a certain way that sort of making that a problem. Okay. Maybe Brian gets out there, but putting him aside, I think the real, for me, the interesting thing is, you know, right now you have not, I'm not counting Corey Kispert who actually is leads the team in offensive rating, but that's sort of a weird anomaly thing. Put him aside the rookie's going to get the, you know, he'll get the lesser minutes and, and that'll be, that's fine. But they have 10 guys averaging at least like 15 minutes a game, including Bertans, who's obviously hurt right now. When Bertans comes back, Rui Hachimura hasn't played yet. You know, what do you do? It, there's, there's worlds where you play 11 guys some nights, but really it's the like nine or 10. And even the 10 guy, you're really not playing tons of minutes. I think to me, I, I, if you said right now, if you could only play 10 guys the rest of the way, we'll assume no injuries. I think Bertans is sitting because even though you could, you could make, at least for me, he would be because the, even though this team needs more three point shooting, they're like, we're thinking around like 20th and three point percentage. They need Bradley Beal to start making some of, at some point here. But um, I want Rui out there 
whenever he gets back out there, because I don't know what he is still. I mean, I don't know where the ceiling is on him. I'm not saying it's going to be Carl Malone, but I also don't know that it's not nothing. I don't know what it is. He had he was showing development, and I want to see what he can be, even if it's just to, as we discussed before, does he show enough that another team might say, hey, you know what? We'll, you you got to put Rui in a trade package. And for the Wizards, it might be like, well, we have other pieces, so why not? Bertans is a whole other conundrum. Not only does he make a ton of money, but we saw last year in the playoffs, um, he's he gets played off the court defensively. So I think Bertans is potentially the odd man out, other than the fact that he's obviously one of the best <laughs> shooters on the planet. Um, so I think he's, I, I, you know, I think they're the two guys who are playing for the 10th. I think for me personally, the way I like to look at basketball, if you had said to me before the season started, here are all these players, we're going to take a few of them out of the lineup for whatever the reason. And all, and these other guys will play. Who do you want out? I probably would have said Rui Hachimura and Davis Bertans because I wanted to see Denny play and he's done that. And I wanted to see Montrez Harrell play. He's done that. I guess maybe there's a world where, it's less minutes for say Aaron holiday or, or Neto and KCP playing maybe a little more of the two and then allowing the, the those two guys to play, you know, play more. But other than that, I, I kind of feel like I don't see how anybody else is sitting. Kuzma's playing great, uh, you know, play, playing really well um, and so on. So yeah, I, I, I kind of think it's Bertans to me would be the guy I would play less um, whenever, whenever, but uh, <laughs> the fact that this is the conversation and we're not discussing, you know, how many minutes does Pasha's Snicks need to play or if Alex Land is their best starting center is, you know, is, 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 uh, is wild. Um, and like I said, we didn't even say, you know, like Kispert without getting, I'm not debating whether he is or isn't, but like, you know, the first round pick, you typically would say, Hey, shouldn't this guy be playing? And I would be like, yeah, no, not really right now. Not because he's, he, he's been fine. He's shown some, sh- some good chutzpah and whatever, but like, there's no room for now. There's a, there's a bigger story going on here right now than just the, the standard development of the rookie. And yeah, the minute thing will be, will be a lot of fun. And now it's weird. It's weird to hear you give this analysis. I'm used to you screaming about Yusuf Sanan, just, just inundating me with 1,674 word texts about Justin Robinson. Look, I mean, I, I, you know, I said in a Slack thread that we were in the other day, I was like, look, I haven't thrown my remote. I mean, I don't think I ever actually threw it before, but I haven't like, have the urge to do that, to have that type of anger watching a game because it seems like what's supposed to happen is supposed to happen. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's things like, you know, I, I, look, I'll just be super honest. Obviously, everybody knows I cover the football team and that's a that is the definition of a full time job these days. And obviously there's overlap with. I got to write during the Wizards games and doing other stuff. So I'm, I'm not watching every second of the game, but I am trying to stay on top of it as best I can and watch games. And, and you know, uh, Josh Robbins is now replaced Fred and, and reading his coverage and all that. Um, and, and David Aldridge as well. But like, you know, when I'm watching the games, it's not, it seems normal. I, I've made this analogy before with the Washington football team. This is a, an older one, but they, they have a current quarterback issue now, but, but they, they've had one off and on for years. Um, and it was a point where they went like after they won the Super when they were winning Super Bowls, they had just terrible quarterbacks. And then Brad Johnson showed up. And Brad Johnson, I was like, oh, Brad Johnson. Wow. I forgot what it looked like to see a professional quarterback. And then he, of course, goes because they, they're a stupid organization. He goes on to win a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Um, but my point is, this is what it feels like watching the Wizards. It was like, oh, I forgot what it looks like to see a team of wearing this uniform have this many guys play and have it all orchestrated in a way that makes logical sense. And I apologize to anybody if I sound overly optimistic about it. I'm not trying to be in terms of like again, they don't they don't have Giannis, they don't have Kevin Durant, they don't have Joel Embiid. 
that that's another tier. They're the weird that the Wizards have put themselves maybe somewhere in the next tier, and in a, in a real way without me just making some. I'm you know I'm not doing the histrionics of you know Ted Leonsis only wants to make the playoffs, which I still believe. But my point is like as it's worked out, all that's gone up. By the way, speaking of which, we haven't I've discussed it, but we haven't with you the trade itself, the Lakers trade, the to 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 trade Russell Westbrook. I can't wait to see Russell Westbrook and LeBron in the playoffs. If you could fast forward time to get me to May and June. Oh my God, please. I can't wait. Anyway, uh, that, that you could get, you know, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, plus a first round pick that they turned into Aaron holiday and Isaiah Todd, whatever that may be. And they and, won- and yeah, Dimwitty and Aaron Holiday. Whenever people name it, they just name the Lakers guys, but right. they couldn't have gotten Dimwitty. They didn't have cap space. They that was part of the Russell Westbrook trade. Dimwitty and Aaron Holiday were part of this trade. Right. Yeah. To get all that, I mean, it is an incredibly transformational deal. And uh, you know, it, it is, you know, the, you know, we talk about like around the league, are the wizards getting enough credit? Like the Tommy Shepard part of this. I'm not going to be stunned when we start seeing national profiles written about this guy fairly soon, because it is a fascinating story. How did this guy who was for whatever many years, 15 years, whatever it was, was Ernie Grunfeld's number two and seemingly was along for that ride. And you would think on some level, he must be lockstep with Ernie Grunfeld because otherwise, why is he still here one way or the other? And yet he's clearly shown to be his own guy. He's made creative trades. And you know he also traded Troy Brown for Gafford. Right. That was another thing that happened within the last year. Right. That was this calendar year, I think. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So like that happened. Um, he did draft Denny. If, they, if it looks like that, that's going well. So like, yeah, the Tommy Shepard component of this can, you know, I've already done it, but I was curious about your thoughts as somebody who's covered the team and obviously dealt with him. Just that aspect alone. I, I mean, it's really off the charts how, how that turned things around. Have the Wizards played the Westbrook lineup, by the way? I would love for them at one point to just put out the Westbrook lineup, which would just be like holiday at the one Dimwitty at the two KCP at the three Kuzma at the four Harold at the five. The, the, uh, this isn't the same thing, but they, uh, several years ago uh, when the football team or when I was then a different name uh, made the Robert Griffin, the third trade and the Rams got a lot of credit for all the things that they acquired when they, when the two teams played each other, the Rams for the coin toss sent out all the players that they acquired in the, in the RG three trade for the coin toss. So yeah, it would be kind of like, but I, 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 maybe it's happened. I, I, I don't know, but, but yeah, it, it, it yeah. That, that if it be, has, uh, it's been for a very short amount of time. Cause I have not seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I did watch a lot. Uh, here we go. They, they've played uh 10 minutes together. Uh, holiday, dimwitty, KCP, Harold and Kuzma. They played 10 minutes together. They're minus 13.6. Keep it up though. There's good karma with that lineup. That is that is the ultimate basketball karma lineup. It, it's 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 something. Um, you know, if Tommy Shepard's going to get credit for you know GM of the year type of talk, I think LeBron has to be in the candidate for the worst GM of the year, right? <laughs> hey, can we talk about the elephant in the room, which I I feel like everybody is horrified to discuss. Uh, I mean, we talked about when Thomas Bryant comes back. What about Rui? Like Rui has been. We don't we don't know what his timetable is um you know he's been out for personal reasons and and doing a physical ramp up for a very long time um you know what is what is it going to be like when he comes back um 
You know, I, I'm just I'm so curious to know what his role is going to be, because he's somebody who the organization consistently said uh, was, you know, a core piece moving forward and kind of similar to the Montrez Harrell situation that we discussed. We haven't really talked about Kyle Kuzma, who's been really good, really reliable. By the way, just because we're talking about Bradley Beal. Th- yeah, this is this is what's Bradley so interesting Beal. is like there's somebody well, been, quite going. honestly there Bradley Beal had the, the craziest part of the Wizards being 10 and 3. If you told me the Wizards are 10 and 3 before I I went into a coma and I missed their first 13 games of the season. And I woke up and I said how are the Wizards doing and you said they're 10 and 3. And I had to guess how. I would guess okay well you know, Wes Unseld made a, a difference on the defense and, and Beal is averaging 32 on, he, you know, he made a huge leap and he's been on a hot streak. Like he's averaging 32 and he's shooting 48% on threes and he's just carrying their offense and the role guys have been really good and that's it. And it's like, Beal's not making shots at all. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, that, that's kind of the craziest part of it all, but I want to talk about Rui. Cause this is an interesting situation where when Rui comes back, uh, you know, Kuzma has been really reliable. You know, I, I think historically he's a superior defensive player to Rui. And right now this, this team's identity is on the defensive side. Uh, he's a superior off ball defender to Rui as well. I mean, I think Rui's all of Rui's defensive value over the, his first few years in the league, it, it's or a couple of years in the league. It's, it's come guarding one-on-one team defense, not his strength. Kuzma is actually pretty good. If you have to, you know, chase somebody around screens, that kind of stuff. He does a good job on that. Uh, he's been absolutely tenacious rebounding the ball. He's shooting threes at a really, really good rate. And he's shooting a ton of them. It's not like he's doing it on low volume. I don't know if he's going to shoot 37% from three for the rest of the year. That's, that's something that would obviously be a career year for them if he keeps taking seven threes a game. So maybe that won't keep up, but he's a superior three-point shooter to Rui. And there are obviously minutes left if, uh, you know, if you continue to play Kuzma. He doesn't need to play 33. Maybe you play him 28 minutes a game. But even so, you know, we've talked about the log jam or, or I, I, I don't know what a more positive word for it is because, you know, at the time of the trade, we kind of phrased it as a log jam because we thought they weren't going to be good. And we were like, oh, no, they've got they're going to have playing time problems. But now it's like they're really good and they're deep. And this is a good problem that everybody would want to have. They but have a surplus of talent. What's going to happen with Rui? Clearly, clearly, the non-basketball people in the organization have a vested business interest in him. I mean, they created an entire media team to cover him six seconds after drafting him. Uh, I am so curious to know what the dynamics are going to be. He, I already thought him becoming extension eligible before next season was really interesting, uh, just going to be a really interesting extension situation because of what his presence means uh, from a business perspective for the organization. I, I, I think this whole thing is going to be interesting to follow. I don't know how it's going to go. And then there's always the possibility of what if Rui got better? You know, we don't know what Rui's going to look like. It's his third year going into the league. 
you know, we don't know. He's he's obviously been going through, uh, you know, personal things. And, you know, we don't know which direction he's going to go in. He could he could show up and and he could just you know struggle from the lag uh, off, which could build. He could show up and it could be his third year and he's still in his early 20s and he'd be like, wow, Rui Hachimura looks great. He's he's finally, you know, he he's he's improved and he could he could just be 10 percent better, but he's better. Uh, or he could be 25% better. And now he's really good. I mean, there, there are just a million possibilities and I don't know how this is going to go. And, and I don't think the organization can, could possibly say they know for sure how it's going to go because they don't have a crystal ball. And uh, I'm just really curious to see how they handle it throughout the rest of the season. Once Rui is back to playing. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, obviously, like you said, he's, he's got, he's got some things he's dealing with. And like, if this was the, the any, any part of his career before this year, that would be a much bigger topic because obviously, you know, a recent first round pick, a guy that was their starting power forward, not being around. How is this team building? He's not there. What's going on? It is still a topic, but because there's so many other stories happening, it's not now front and center. Obviously, hopefully he's okay personally, and hopefully he comes back from a basketball perspective and, and is a positive piece. But, you know, if he wasn't or whatever, they have all these other guys. You mentioned Kuzma in particular. Um, that that that's what makes it so interesting. I, like I said, for me, if if he and Bertans come back, you know, effectively around the same time or whatever, or whenever they're both available, you know, I think Rui is the one I need to see because I don't know what he is. I I need to know what he can do. You know, Montrez Harrell, I believe, is a free agent after this season. Um, obviously, you know, it seemed like the Wizards should just give him a max contract. <laughs> and uh, I'm sort of kidding, but uh, maybe not. Uh, uh, you know, and whatever. But like, you know, you potentially need to to know what you have with Rui if you have to whatever decisions you need to make you, you need to make there so yeah I, I think that's a really fascinating wild card in that and that's again like to talk about where this team is you know even Bertans was playing better defense I say with air quotes um early on when, when he was playing we mentioned Beal and as whatever etc so like it's not just that they're playing well at 10 and 3 the ceiling I don't and I don't mean ceiling in terms of contending for a title i just mean like they could be, have more pieces they could have more things to work with because we haven't even seen uh, their starting power forward from last year who's in ascending talent play yet uh thomas bryant i'm not even thinking about because he's been gone for a while and whatever but like he's another guy right i mean uh, where oh this is a guy that could potentially give you some so, so, some good things so yeah it, it, it is fascinating to, to see and you know like i said hopefully Rui, uh, you know was is okay and he works it out but yeah it's going to be fascinating to see where he goes i mean to me personally i would keep going with you know with what's going here with kuzma obviously um and like i said i don't want denny losing one minute to anybody at this point so you know and obviously montrose harrell should be playing whatever he, you know whatever makes sense so um to me that those guys are there and then you got to figure out how to get Rui in there at some point yeah i don't i don't envy the wizards writers in covering Rui because like Obviously, he's going through something tough, and uh, it's hard It's hard to cover that because you want to be sympathetic to the person. But there's basketball stuff to discuss, you know? I mean, there's there are legitimate basketball storylines with just how many capable players they have on this team. And look, it's, it's kind of amazing that, like, Rui's out, and they have so many quality forwards that it's just Rui's out and Bertans is out and they have so many quality forwards that they're just you wouldn't know 
You know, you just you, you would watch him play. And if you didn't know who those guys were, you'd be like, yeah, this is a complete basketball team. It's it's fine. They're not missing anybody, uh, which brings me back to the original points, uh, which, you know, you talked about as well, which is like if they are this good, I, I I'm not saying they should or would do it now. But if they are this good in February or even just good, like if if they are certain that they're good and they're really confident that Beal is going to resign come the offseason, then they're consolidation trade candidates. They're, they're candidates to put together, you know, three players. And, and those are trades that are hard to make in season because rosters are full. Right. It's a lot easier to make it in the offseason when a team only has seven guys on their roster because they have eight free agents and they can take in three players and trade, you know, trade one player for four. And, and now they have 10 players instead of seven. Um, you know, it's harder to make that in season because if you trade four guys for Ben Simmons, then Philly has to cut three guys. And that's not really a thing that happens, but, but uh, you know, they're, they're consolidation trade candidates. If that's something they could work out, if they could get a third team, if Philly could just throw in the three guys at the end of their bench and they work that out or, or any other team, you know, it doesn't have to be for someone as good as Simmons. It could be for, for anybody. And we don't know how the trade market's going to bear out because it's the middle of November. Uh, but but they are two for one, three for one trade candidates, uh, if that's something they'd be able to work out. And um, they just they wouldn't lose depth. They wouldn't. I mean, they have three point guards who are all reliable. And Aaron Holiday, I think, has been pretty good for them. I mean, I think he's a really good third point guard. I think he's been good for them. They have the way, like, 968 forwards. A guy like Isaiah Todd, who look, I mean, I have no take on. He he would be a guy that in the, any of the previous years would be like, oh, well, shouldn't he be getting some minutes or whatever? Because like he was, uh, you know, what was he, the first or second pick of the second round, right? So he's a guy that's you know, basically there. No, he shouldn't be playing in this group because I mean, they obviously have real players and he can develop in the G League or on the practice court or whatever. Um, but that's to the point of the the depth. I'm not counting him as depth, but he's at least well interesting. We don't know what he is, and that's all. That's a whole other a whole other thing and um and and so on um all right we're, shockingly a, Fred, a ben and fred podcast has run long and i've got to go get to my other job but lo- last thing i want to say in terms of like the next step for the wizards um so we, you know, we haven't talked a ton about bradley beal you mentioned his defense i have maintained for the last couple of years and i'm going to pat myself on the back for this that all the people who said he can't play defense were just moronic because the, i said he played defense when they were good in the last couple of years, he was asked to do literally everything on offense. This team played no defense. It made no sense for him to exert himself on both ends of the court. I understand he's a professional player. You should always try and blah, blah, blah. But if you're being realistic with how things work, what's he going to do? Bust his hump guarding the opposing two guards to then have to do everything on the other end while he's getting double teamed all game made no sense. But now the team is playing defense and Bradley's build defense is better. Now people are shocked, shocked that there's gambling taking place here of course he's playing better because they actually have a a real a a a real team for him to to help around him he doesn't have to do everything on both ends but here's the thing for me for the next step uh bradley beal i think fell into some bad habits to a degree from the hero ball perspective you know when he came into the league he was this great off the ball player that's where he lived and obviously you had john wall as the main 
point guard. And I've said many times, I think the Bradley Beal kind of had a little bit of jealousy towards the John Wall aspect of it all, how he, the organization kind of let John Wall kind of get away with some stuff and what he was able to do. And then when Wall was out, you had Scott Brooks as a coach who has historically allows his star players to kind of do whatever they want, right? Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, John Wall, Bradley Beal as well. So Bradley Beal would take whatever shots he wanted, even if it didn't always seem to make a lot of sense or, you know, he he's forcing too much. And I think we still have seen some of that this year. But what I think is, I think that within Bradley Beal, just like what I said with the defense, where he would change his game once he uh, saw the other pieces around him, I think, or at least I'm hoping that he recognizes, and maybe this is at some point he and Wes Unsell have a conversation to say, hey, we don't need you to be that guy anymore. You don't need to be overly ball dominant and try to worry about having to break down the defense at the end of the game or whatever. We want the ball in your hands a ton. You're the guy. We get all that, but we have Spencer Dinwiddie, who we barely have talked about here in this in this podcast. He's been really good. We have Kyle Kuzma. We have all these other pieces. We need you to buy in more to being what makes Bradley Beal great. You can play more off the ball. Maybe that'll help his three-point shooting. I think it's three-point shooting has tailed off ever since he's tried to become more of this other guy. By the way, his dribble drive is still really good. He still gets to the basket. He still gets points. If he takes that mental step of pulling back offensively where he doesn't he puts the ego a little bit in park, doesn't feel like he has to be that guy and be more of the team player while still being the best player in all-star. I think that is when this team may actually go to another level. And that is, I don't know if that happens next week or next month or this season, but I think to me, if that can happen, I think it can similar to what I was saying about the defense. I think that's when things can get really interesting. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think we've seen some non-hero ballish moments from him this year. It's been a little better. Crunch, I mean, crunch time of the Cleveland game. Yeah, you know he's he's fine. He's he's hitting middle. He's getting middle, and he's finding Kyle Kuzma for threes. You know, two straight possessions. Crunch time of that Cleveland game. Uh, I mean, I think he he's I had just a lot of late that. game turnovers where like he's still like yeah. Well, ball, he has a high turnover rate this year. Yeah, his ball handler like it's better on the drive, but he's still not like he he's obviously he's a smart player, but he's not a facilitator in a natural sense and that's kind of what i'm just saying like don't have to feel like you have to do the things that you're not best at all the time because you have other help now Mm -hmm. for sure and dimwitty's done a good job dimwitty has been really good in pick and rolls he has been a much better shooter than i thought he would be we'll see if that holds up but he's shooting 38 percent from three i mean if if this if his shooting is real then he's just a significantly better shooter than he's ever been, which sometimes that happens to guys when they have lower leg injury, you know, they have leg injuries, that kind of stuff. And Dimwitty had the ACL because when they're out, they can't run, they can't jump, they can't play. All they can do is stand there and shoot for a while during their rehab. Uh, and sometimes guys come back better shooters. Maybe Dimwitty's a better shooter. Uh, I'm not necessarily committing to the fact that he's this good of a jump shooter because he's making all kinds of jump shoots. I jump shots. I saw a tweet recently talking about how he's shooting 38% on pull-up threes, and that would just be a ginormous leap for him. So I'm not I'm not willing to go. I just think we need to see more to know if that's if that's something that's for real as well. Um, but he's been very good for them. He's been he's been really good for them. Um I'm you mentioned the turnovers. The, the turnovers are, are kind of an interesting storyline for them in general, not just Brad's, but actually turnovers at the other end. Um, you know, we talked about if the defense is real, I'm, 
one thing I'm going to follow is uh, they're forcing the fewest turnovers in the league right now, which doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a bad defense, but the, the more opportunities to score, uh, the more often a team will score. And when, and when you have uh, some, uh, some, some randomness associated with your three point shooting in that they're giving up 29% three point shooting, just the more opportunities that you give up, uh, the tougher it is going to be to stop. Uh, you just, the best way to make sure the ball doesn't go in the basket is to make sure a shot doesn't even go up. Uh, and if you do that without gambling, that's great. If you do it when you're gambling, then you end up getting screwed, but they're, they're last in the league in uh, opponents turnover rate. And uh, you know, I don't know if you want to be dead last in that category. They're also still fouling a, a, a good amount. So that's something to watch on the defense too. But the fact that they're this high up in defense when they're, forcing so few turnovers they're bottom 10 in steals they're they're fouling a lot i mean that's so it's 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 interesting fred we have breaking news what i'm not kidding this is on the wizards front they just sent out an email that says monumental sports and entertainment announced today that general manager tommy shepherd has been promoted to president and general manager of the washington wizards and Chief Planning and Operations Officer Sashi Brown has been promoted to President of Monumental Basketball and Special Advisor to the Office of CEO, yada, yada, yada. Um, so uh, a lot of that is just title. But at the end of the day, like the thing with Tommy Shepard has been, you know, as we, as we all oh, know. And an extension for Tommy Shepard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and an extension. I mean, so like when, when, when that whole the, the search was still silly that it took three months and all this other stuff happening to pick the guy that was down the hall the whole time. But ultimately, yes, give him credit. How, however it was, you know, however many people that Ted Leonis needed to talk to about the off season that year, uh, they landed on a guy who's done a great job and Tommy Shepard absolutely warrants um, attention. And we, we, we were some, uh, I think it was Ryan Rosillo joke the other day about, you know, it's the time to build uh, Tommy Shepard a statue it's, uh, apparently it's time to give him an extension and a title bump. So um, kudos to, uh, to, to everybody there involved. And um, you know, like we said before, I think th- that trade and not just the Lakers trade and everything went with it, but the getting Gafford and, you know, the subtle things, whatever Bertans is, he gave up nothing to get a guy who was worthy enough of getting a massive contract debated whether, you know, regardless of, of that. And the, the, the draft picks, at least with Danny look interesting. So yeah, interesting there. Uh, we're not going to get into more than that because I got to go. And so do, so do you have to get back to life. Last thing I will just say though, before we do go, Fred. So obviously I'm talking to you here, but I, I try to talk about the wizards a little bit here and there, but uh, you know, I got other things to do and this is not definitively a wizards podcast. And I don't know what the bosses at the athletic would think, but like I've said to people, I'm willing to talk about this once a week and maybe I can get Fred to come on like once a month or something or whatever. So if this is something people are interested in, tell, tell the world, you know, hit, leave comments on my iTunes uh, for the standard groom only podcast. Uh, hit me and Fred up on Twitter, send me emails, be standing at, at the athletic.com. If this is something people actually want, you know, and people like Fred are willing to come talk to me, I'll do it. But you know, I got other stuff to do too. So uh, clearly I'm interested in talking about the wizards, but if people were interested in that, and I think you people missed wizards after dark, speak up. Talk and, and Ben, can I get the floor for 30 seconds? Oh boy. 
at the end of Wizards After Dark, I would always ask you, you got anything to plug? Every time, you got anything to plug? So I'm going to ask myself right now. I have, I, I have one thing to plug. Yeah. Go follow and read Josh Robbins. He's killing it on the Wizards beat. He's so good. He's been covering the NBA for literally double-digit years. He has such unbelievable knowledge of the league. Uh, he is an, a legitimately incredible writer. Um, amazing storyteller. So dedicated to the job. I mean, Josh is, I mean, I've known Josh for a really long time and he's just, he's the best. He's amazing. Um, so go follow Josh, read Josh. I mean, he just, he's, he covered the magic for 12 years and was the magic guy. Like, you know, if you need magic info, you go to Josh Robbins. He's the best magic reporter you could possibly get. And, um, you know, I just think he's doing an amazing job on the wizards and he's writing great content and, he does his keys of the game on Twitter and his photos on Twitter. And he's just got this unique voice and um, yeah, go follow him on social media and, uh, and, and go read his work. Cause Josh is, he's just, he's destroying. I think, I think he's doing an amazing job. Yeah. I, I would hope we'll, hopefully we'll have Josh on here one way or the other at some point uh, when, after he settles in, but yeah, well, with Josh on and, and Fred and obviously D, uh, DA comes on to talk to me about the football team. So I, I think he knows something about basketball. Um, so, um, yeah, so anyway, so yes, what Fred said about Josh, as well as if you guys are interested um, in that, let me know. And of course, keep reading Fred on The Athletic. He's doing a, a fun job covering the Knicks. And, you know, look, if you've already been reading Fred, you're already inoculated with what he's doing. So you're not going to be like, what is this guy? You're already aware of the craziness that's coming off of that end. So, you know, you, you're prepared. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're immunized, at least, to, uh, to what Fred is uh Got, got going on over there uh i appreciate it it was fun as always uh anytime you want to come back on you know just send out the bat signal and uh, we'll work it out okay i'll be back on tomorrow but yeah and the thing is that's fine with me um all right uh fred appreciate it man all right many thanks to joe person and fred katz for their time and as always thanks everybody here for checking out the podcast checking out my work on the athletic Follow me on Twitter and so on. Um, I just wanted to one last thing. So I mentioned the idea of um, Ron Rivera has been, uh, you know, gotten he and Taylor Heineke have gone gone together for a lot of time over the years. As I mentioned, without saying it, that the Sally Jenkins in her column in the Washington Post noted that Ron Rivera brought Taylor Heineke. He, he's kept around five different occasions. Didn't mention. He's got to get rid of it at least four times for that to occur. And obviously, look, Sally's a you know, herald of columnist. You can go read the column. You know, she, it's, it's, it's all fine. But there's been a lot of talk in recent days here about the fact that Ron Rivera is all in on Taylor Heineke. And I guess I would just say, not really. I, I, don't, I don't personally buy that. I think Ron Rivera fully respects what Taylor Heineke has brought to this team and the way he plays and the all-out effort at all times. Um, you know, I, I've heard players say, they know when Taylor, when, when Taylor Heineke's in the game, he's going to give it his all. And I think that's an inspiring thing to a players and probably to a coach as well, who has had this year has had um, uh, struggles finding, um, finding some steadiness, some consistency, some energy at times with this team. You don't have that issue with Taylor Heineke, but if Ron Rivera was all in on Taylor Heineke, they would have given him a bigger contract than the little two-year one that they gave him. I mean, they had the leverage, but still, I mean, you want to lock this guy up if you think he is all that. Um, I did an over-under here uh, podcast a couple weeks ago 
with Michael Phillips and Steve Wino. And I had an over under of starts for Taylor Heineke the rest of the way, six and a half out of nine games. And they both laughed at me saying it was too high because their impression wasn't that don't necessarily know that they were too wrong, that assuming they would lose to Tampa Bay, it would be a five game losing streak. And the benching could come right there that we could have been looking at Kyle Allen this week against the Panthers. Obviously the game went the way that it went. But my point is it's absolutely conceivable that Taylor Heineke may have been take, taken out of the lineup at some point here. If the, if the losing had kept going, even if it wasn't, just for him. And why would you do that if you really were buying into this guy? I think that Ron, again, likes Taylor Heineke a lot. And I think, you know, look, Taylor Heineke might be the best quarterback in this game. That's, I'm not being crazy. I mean, I don't know what Cam Newton is. Taylor Heineke's shown he could be good. He is at a minimum a high-end backup in this league. And I'm not dismissing that on any level by calling him a backup. He could be a spot starter, perhaps. I mean, he's he could play. He just beat Tom Brady. He had a good game against the Bucks. Last year, the two wins earlier than this year were largely because of his, um, his his heroics, especially late in games. So Taylor Heineke is absolutely shown to be a viable quarterback. But the idea that Ron Rivera is all in on him, I don't buy it. Ron Rivera wouldn't be, say, as he has said multiple times, that um, we don't know if we have a franchise quarterback. And a franchise quarterback is an overly stated term. But, you know, if you really think he's Taylor Heineke's all that, then why are you even debating over what your starting quarterback is? So in any event, uh, I think Taylor Heineke's put himself in a good position as I I did. a. Uh, if you didn't hear um, this week or see me on Twitter, I host I co-hosted a, a show uh, on 106.7 The Fan on Tuesday night. In fact, I'll be doing it again the following Tuesday on the 23rd. Um, and part of that conversation um was about the idea that, um, you know, you know, if Ron Rivera was, was truly only on Taylor Heineke, um, the world would be looking, you know, the, the, we wouldn't be doing all the things, you know, it, it, it would be very viewed differently. We wouldn't be having to have all these conversations about quarterbacks because it would be a little more obvious. I don't think it's there. I just think that Taylor Heineke has done a great job and people have overlooked him, myself included, and he's he's been good. But that's not, it's very different than saying Ron Rivera is all in and that's my only pushback on any of this latest uh from various various people this idea that you know taylor heineke that, that rivera got it right i think i think ron rivera is more than happy that taylor heineke's been fine i don't think he's pushed all his chips into the middle on taylor heineke but that's fine we'll see we'll see what happens this week he's another opportunity for for, for heineke to show everybody uh that he is worthy of consideration for this job and by oh th- one of the things was the idea of we can keep talking about how they're going to find a quarterback in the offseason, at least from a veteran perspective. It's You look at the market. If Aaron Rodgers stays put, if the Sean Watson situation doesn't clear up, if Russell Wilson stays put, Derek Carr stays put, and the free agent market is like Teddy Bridgewater and Andy Dalton and guys like that, it's, there's perhaps a world where the Washington's best options are the guys who are currently on the roster um, if we're talking veterans. So uh, it doesn't sound very exciting, but we will see. Um, that's another day. This day, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. That's it from now for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Check out my work on the Athletic. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing and stay safe, stay good. It's going to be a fun week. Enjoy it. We'll talk soon. Until next time, see ya.